0: Speed, agility, power, I'm a big fan of these things. All of the performance I demand for myself on the ice is here, handles all of my needs in dynamic fashion.
1: All right, folks, welcome to another episode of Roxy Fever. I'm your host, Jackson McDonald, uh, alone today with a guest that I'm uh, very happy to have on and very excited to introduce. He is a contributor for my old stomping grounds, Canucks Army. It's Noah Strang. Noah, how's it going?
0: Going great. Thanks, Jackson. Thank you for having me on. Really oh, yeah.
1: No, I'm very excited, too. I, I The reason I'm having you on is because uh, you had an article up at Canucks Army yesterday as of day of recording this is uh monday the 13th of february i don't know when this will go up but uh yeah you had an article up yesterday about the salary cap and specifically how the nhl should get rid of it which is something that we've kind of touched on on the show before but never really in great detail and it's always been something that i've wanted to do an episode about so um i guess i'll start by just asking you um about the NBA uh, because they have a soft cap and luxury tax system. And I my understanding is that this article was kind of spurred by uh, what happened at this year's NBA trade deadline. I'm not a... I'm a very casual basketball fan, so I, I'd love it if you could walk me through a couple of things about uh, the NBA salary cap system Um, but I'll start with what happened at the trade deadline this year and how does that contrast with what the NHL trade
0: deadline is like? Yeah, well, you're correct in that the article, uh, the motivation behind the article kind of came from seeing the NBA trade deadline and what happened there. Uh, it was pretty hectic trade deadline in the NBA and we saw lots of different trades go down including Kevin Durant moving from the Brooklyn Nets to the Phoenix Suns he's one of the best players in the league obviously and that's the type of trade that shakes the whole like standings of the entire NBA but beyond just that trade there were a lot of other trades for middling players and a lot of trades that we wouldn't see in the NHL for example even role players going to contenders for multiple draft picks like five second round draft picks and those yeah, well, who was he's...
1: who was the player who went for five seconds? Because I was hearing people talk <laughs> about that, um, and uh, that's like uh, that is such a in hockey. That's the kind of trade you see in like the WHL.
0: Yeah, never in yeah. the NHL. Well, I mean, even even the the Kevin Durant trade had four unprotected firsts, a pick <laughs> swap in the year after that, and then multiple good young players going back the other way. And there's wow. a lot of reasons for that. it's it's, it's not just the the differences in the salary cap that make these trades happen in the NBA compared to the NHL, but yeah. the salary cap is a big constraint on just player movement in general in the NHL, and part of the reason why we don't get that same excitement of big name players moving different teams. And this year, we have seen a couple NHL trades. Of course, the Canucks traded Bohorvat. Uh, Tarasenko just moved. Yes. But they're few and far between compared to the NBA, especially when it comes to that top tier player. Which, well, Orban and Senko are both great players. They're they're not in that same superstar tier as, for example, like Kevin Durant or these other players that have gone trade. This year. I mean, Kyrie also got traded. Yes. Um, and a big reason for that is the hard cap against the soft cap. So in the NHL, where we have or the NHL has a hard cap number that the teams. Can't go over. I think it's currently like eighty-two point five million or something. Yeah, there,
1: very somewhere thereabouts, give or take.
0: Yeah, the NBA uses a soft cap and luxury tax system, so they also have a cap number. Not exactly sure what it is, but there are so many exceptions and rules built into handing out contracts. It's pretty rare for a team to even be sitting below that that soft cap number. Almost every team is above it when you do up all the salaries on their team because they're taking advantage of these different exceptions, like rookie exceptions or the mid-level exception, just a couple examples of rules that the NBA has built into its salary cap that allow teams to cross that soft cap. On top of that, then they have the luxury tax, which is another number above that. And when teams start paying over the luxury tax dollars, they pay a financial penalty. They're on each dollar above the luxury tax. With the tax going up, the higher you go over. Right. So it's a little bit easier in the NBA to pay your way out of problems. Sure. And when trading, like as that's the example that we're looking at, the salaries don't quite have to match up in the same way they do in the NHL.
1: Yeah. So uh, I, with the luxury tax system, like I've I've always been sort of okay. So obviously, it makes sense how that keep, how that still keeps player salaries. Or rather, like team payrolls from the sort of ridiculous discrepancies that you see in, say, I think the, the most obvious one would be the MLB where, mm-hmm. you know, you have like, in some cases, one player who makes more than the entire payroll of like, you know, what's a small market team like the Pittsburgh Pirates or whatever. Um but uh, what do they actually do with the money from the luxury tax? Do you know or or is that like well publicized? Because I've always wondered.
0: I'm um, sure it is well publicized, but I'm not 100% sure okay, where yeah. all that
1: money goes to.
0: Yeah. It's, I,
1: I assume it's probably, it, it probably gets sh- siphoned back into the league, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's I mean, probably or back into,
0: like the, a revenue share agreement among the teams or something.
1: So, so yeah, I mean, I guess, I guess basically like, uh, you, you, it's, it's kind of advantageous for everyone because the big market teams spend more, but then their money gets siphoned back into revenue sharing, which benefits the smaller teams. Um, yeah. And this is why it's good to have revenue sharing. Like, uh, I, I, I do think that the, that the, you know, the salary cap we'll talk more about that but revenue sharing was one of the good things to come out of the lockout and out of the the sort of uh major changes that happened in uh in after 0405 i was going to ask i don't know how old you are yeah. um but do you did you watch much hockey before the salary cap was put in place in in 05
0: no uh, i'm i'm 23 now so i was i was 5 Oh, you're a
1: little guy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was, uh, I, I was not old. Like I'm, I'm 29. Um, yeah. so I, I, I'm trying to think. So I would have been the year of the lockout. I would have been 11 turning 12 at the end of the season. Yeah. But I, I remember watching, like I, I grew up with the West Coast Express and stuff. And I was definitely the, the lockout was kind of harsh on me because that was when I really, Like, I really started to become a hockey fan sort of the two years before the lockout. And there are obviously, like, a lot of differences now. The hockey is better, uh, mainly because of the ways they've cut down on, like, obstruction, fighting, physical play. But um, one thing that I'm kind of curious uh, with... Uh, that that will tie back to this in a second is do you think obviously the the big case for the salary cap is parity right and you mentioned that in your article but I was wondering do you think the cap actually creates parity or do you think it's kind of a false parity because I was taking a look at the so we've had 17 seasons now of Full seasons of post cap hockey, right? Yeah,
0: yeah.
1: And in that span, eleven teams have won the Stanley Cup. Eleven different teams of seventeen, right? Okay. And the seventeen years prior to the salary cap being put in place, so same span of time. Because I didn't want to. Uh, I think it's kind of it would be kind of unfair to compare, you know, ninety years of hockey to seventeen. Uh, yeah. But in the 17 years prior to the st- to the salary cap, there were 10 different Stanley Cup winners.
0: Right.
1: So, I mean, I realize that's at the very, very top end of competitiveness. Yeah. But seemingly. In terms of uh, in terms of like variety of different cup winners, it doesn't seem like there's maybe as much of a difference as people think.
0: No, it- I agree with you. I think the salary cap does add a level of parity, but it's not nearly as much as people like to make it out to be. Uh, I mean, like right there you said, we've had about the same amount of different Stanley Cup winning franchises in the same time period before and after the salary cap was instituted. I think part of the reason for that is that the salary cap really institutes parity by tearing down successful teams, Mm
1: -hmm. but it only
0: really tears down the the middle class and the the lower class of players salaries on the successful teams and uh, through other competitive advantages we see the same franchises succeeding over and over and the salary cap floor doesn't do enough to push up the the poorly managed teams to be competitive which i think is why we see a lot of franchises like languishing at the bottom of the standings for a long time while the same sort of franchises stick around the top.
1: Yeah, it it sort of seems like the the current system, like whether whether it's you could argue it's a lot of things, right? Because the the salary cap is definitely salary structure is is definitely the base of everything you're going to have in the league. It's it's the everything sort of flows from that, like how that and and other sort of uh player power structures which we'll touch on a little bit later like the draft and free agency and stuff like how much agency they have but um everything kind of flows downstream from from that but there are other things too that that can affect uh um you know the the culture and the um uh, the rule book how rules are enforced fines suspensions etc but uh, it does sort of seem like right now the the league on the whole, whether that's how much of that is the s- salary gap specifically, is probably up for debate. But it seems like it kind of the teams that really benefit are the mediocre teams, like yeah. like the the teams that maybe not maybe mediocre is a little strong, but like your your eighth, seventh place in each conference teams are the ones who can get a real boost from uh the salary cap, the loser point, uh the playoff format, like and then the really bad teams stay bad and the really good teams have to be really spendthrift to stay good. Like if you look at and this is this is something I'm excited to, to get to in a second, but if you look at like the best teams of the cap era, they're pretty much all the teams that be- behaved the most intelligently from like an econ standpoint they're all the the teams with the best accounting you know
0: yeah and i think i think that's an important point to make because in a hard cap world like the nhl operates it all becomes down to the dollar amount and the same player at just a couple million dollar different salary becomes a vastly different asset just like what you said building a successful team becomes more about the accounting almost than about the actual player management. Again, if we contrast it to the NBA, building a team, building a roster is more to do with putting the best five players together on the court compared to getting the most out of every dollar. Mm -hmm. And so I think in the NHL where every focus, because of how the salary cap works, comes down to maximizing every dollar, you lose a little bit of that building a great hockey team outside of the money standpoint.
1: Yeah, absolutely. There's a, there's a quote from the article I wanted to read that I thought uh, illustrated this really well. Um, you say, by putting a ceiling on the amount the teams could spend, the NHL has made salary the most important factor in any player's value. In the NHL, some of the most valuable assets are those on undervalued contracts, while in the NBA, it's the quality of the players that matters the most. So do you think that the product itself is kind of devalued by that? Like, Uh, when you when everyone is constantly talking about players in terms of their value like as in how much money you're wringing out of them essentially like how much surplus monetary value you're getting for a guy on a really cheap contract versus player quality like just purely how talented they are how um, how productive they are uh, um, like at some point do you think that that kind of um, has a damaging effect on on people's uh, people's perception of of players and and the uh, the product that the NHL is putting on the ice because like uh, you know you 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 take a, a player like Brock Besser for example right who you mentioned in the article cool. Um fun guy to watch has a lot of skills and would probably be a beloved player if he made two less million dollars. And instead, even though he's in the middle of like, he's having a bad defensive season, but he's been really good offensively. Everyone's kind of down on him. And, uh, and, you know, this is a guy we're talking about was, was a, a totally like a fan favorite player two years ago
0: a hundred percent and this is something that we can get into as well but the owners have kind of pulled a fast one on the players here with this hard cap because it's become a bad thing to take the money that you're offered or the money that you're worth which Mm a lot of times is not even the true value of the money that they're worth but taking as much as you can get is seen as a bad thing because you're not doing enough to help the team win and that is true I mean we even saw I think it was Brad Marchand say that the reason why the Bruins are so successful is because nobody makes as much as they deserve. Like everyone takes pay cuts. Yeah. Which is true. I mean, that's the biggest, one of the biggest competitive advantages you can have in this hard cap NHL world, but it creates this perception from fans, like on a Besser, if he was making 4 million bucks, I'm sure he would still be a fan favorite instead of this target of a lot of criticism and trade. Yeah. Yeah, and the, the hard cap means that anyone getting paid, even their true value, starts to not be worth as much as a lesser player on a undervalued contract. Mm-hmm. And so I think that is something that would benefit from the NHL changing their hard cap system, which is something that I talked about in the article, was this kind of misguided anger, not anger, criticism of players for taking the contracts that they can get while they can get playing a physical sport where they don't know if there'll be another contract I mean mm-hmm. it just doesn't make much sense while it's the owners that are really getting to save a couple extra dollars there
1: yeah yeah and and I I think like that's that's a very um that that's I mean that's the thing that that I'm the most key in on as, as far as this is concerned, because uh, when we had Rachel Dory on the show last week, we talked about this a little bit where like there's, there's an element to, um, to sports, uh, athletes, especially where it's, it's one of the only, um, it's one of the only high profile examples of like, you're kind of normal guy, like normal, everyman type of person actually talking about, you know, labor and connective uh, collective bargaining and like all this kind of sometimes can can be like boring jargony stuff actually coming up in a way that people can wrap their heads around. And I, I I think it's interesting that, uh, you know, you, you talk about the, the players being called greedy and, uh, and, you know, the, the, I'm gonna'll I'll just read from from the article here because I, I yeah. once again I think I think it just sums things up nicely. as it stands at the moment, the hard cap system keeps the top stars like Connor McDavid, Austin Matthews, and others underpaid as their contracts are limited by the salary gap. In addition, it incentivizes players to take less money to help the organization build around them. This creates a culture where fancy players is greedy for wanting to get what they're worth, all while the owners reap the benefit of saving a few dollars. The reason the Batman. Be- continues to support and uphold the hard cap system so much is that it's not that it creates parity across the league it's because it keeps money in the owners pockets and keeps them happy so basically uh, the the cap the salary cap kind of um it conditions fans to identify and empathize with the owner more than the players and just from a simple like just from the simple standpoint of who actually creates the value and who actually um you know no one is tuning in to uh Sportsnet you know hockey night in Canada on a saturday night to hear about uh Tom Gallardi you know like <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Re- regardless of uh of you know um how how you how you feel about any of these guys like uh like on a, a a personal level or a a business level or whatever like the the world is has millions of Tom Gallardis some of them have billions of dollars some of them own a couple of you know uh mattress store <laughs> like locations or whatever um yeah. not very many Connor McDavid's in fact only one Connor McDavid um and so. It, it's it's kind of interesting that uh, players get tagged with the greedy label, um, when they're only getting a fraction of, uh, the the money that the that the owner has for you know, just straight up like doing something less impressive. Um, I don't know if you're uh, are you familiar with John Boyce Secret Base?
0: Yeah, I've seen some of his stuff.
1: Um, there's a there's a great one that he just put out not that long ago, uh called it's a it's like a feature-length uh single episode documentary uh called The People You're Paying to Be in Shorts. It's about the uh 2012-13 Charlotte Bobcats. Okay. And it's really interesting because it's about Michael Jordan as a team owner. Um, but like you you take Michael Jordan as a, as an example, like he's really one of the only people ever in history to make a billion dollars and like own a, a, a major sports franchise by being good at something, by yeah, doing mean, something himself,
0: you know? But y- even Michael Jordan there, the reason mm-hmm. why he was able to get those billion dollars wasn't necessarily the money he was getting paid to play basketball no exactly yeah it's just impossible to make that much money as a sports player and athlete to ever get to find yourself in that position
1: yeah and one of the one of the things that people uh bring up as like uh you know an an additional uh benefit to say like playing in toronto or something um is endorsements right uh uh you know you can do commercials and you can do that and it's like you know that's great that you can make more money but it's essentially the league going like, well, we're not going to pay you, but yeah. you could go out and get another job. <laughs> you, you know, yeah. you could, you could become a, you could go, uh, uh you know, uh, uh brand like merchandise yourself, brand yourself, get on the Wheaties box um, yeah. or whatever. But it's, it's, it's just, it's interesting because, it, because here in, in Vancouver, for example, like, you know uh, uh, you get mad at Brock Besser for making based on, the the very specific machinations of the market now versus three years ago a million or two more dollars than he should based on his on ice value and people are up in arms but you hear a lot less about like you know uh you're starting to hear more about it now but like you, you hear a lot less about like oh well the owner you know who Um, you know, like (laughs) they make their money by like, you know, not giving water to Guatemalan women or whatever. Um, just, uh, you, you don't hear the same kind of criticism about, uh, the owner spending money inefficiently or doing things that are stupid or not wanting to pay a guy what he's worth. Like they don't get, um, uh, they don't have to deal with that greedy label nearly as much or even really the level of uh, scrutiny that even like a, you know, uh, third pair defenseman might get.
0: 100%. I mean, they're in such a public facing profession that every little move they do is scrutinized. And I, I think another thing to touch on that you kind of mentioned with the endorsements is that ho- hockey still has this culture within it, which is very team orientated and t- very lack of in individualism which i think we are starting to see broken more and more Mm -hmm. but there is still a bit of a a reluctance it seems on many players to show that individualism and part of the way that they can do that is through brand deals or Mm -hmm. just making themselves a bigger brand outside of the organization outside of the sport but it's still kind of looked down upon within the hockey world and definitely i think there's different ways different reasons for that but you compare that to any other sport, and the players do a better job at showing their personality, which is obviously like a massive talking point and something that everyone can see as is an issue with the NHL. But that also ends up limiting how much they can make while they're in the NHL and also after they're in the NHL.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like it, it, it's, uh, it's also, I think, a little bit like silly and unfair to expect. Um a player like, say, Connor McDavid, who, you know, maybe doesn't have much of a personality and maybe isn't marketable in that sense, but is undeniably uh as a player like the face of the NHL and 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 probably the most fun player in the league to watch, save for maybe like, you know, Kel McCarr or someone like that, um, that it's gonna be his job to go out and market himself. In his off time from being the best player in the world when the league could just do that (laughs) and probably should if it if it cares about its its market. And this is kind of uh, this kind of touches on something that in my more cynical moments, I, I think about a lot and talk about a lot, which is like sometimes it almost seems like the NHL is actually quite content being fourth. You know, um, not not growing the game as much because the hard cap system allows the owners to make a lot of money by essentially being cheap, by keeping player values low. And I, I was wondering, like, do you do you think to some degree like the NHL is is more interested in, in keeping their business model based on. Uh, underpaying players rather than, uh, you know, growing growing the game, which is something people talk about a lot.
0: I think, I think so, for sure. I mean, at the end of the day, Bettman's job is to keep the owners happy, and the way that he does that is by making sure that money ends up in their pockets. I think it would be an interesting discussion to talk about a little bit, hypothetically, if opening up the salary cap, allowing more player movement, allowing maybe more talent to come together on the same team would end up growing the game faster and result in more like eyeballs on the league and more league wide revenue. And eventually down the line the NHL doesn't get caught maybe by the MLS and they can keep that fourth spot or yeah. Challenge for more fans. And maybe the even if the owners have to pay the players a bit more, the greater pie means that it's not the worst decision for them either. But um, it's it's hard to say exactly what would happen, and if the NHL kind of switch would that result in the game not falling behind, like you said, it, it does feel like they're just kind of content sitting there mm-hmm. instead of pushing the boundaries in different ways. Uh,
1: on the subject of of pushing the boundaries, something that you mentioned in the article but didn't expand on a lot is uh, that you you actually think that people talk about creativity a lot with regards to the salary cap, particularly from a management standpoint like oh they're going to have to get creative to add uh add players or to to shed salary or to um to accumulate assets like draft picks and prospects and stuff and but what one thing you said in the article is that you actually think the salary cap limits creativity and i was wondering uh if you could maybe give an example of that or or even just more broadly explain like wh- how might uh may, you know Easing up the financial restrictions on teams uh, lead to front offices being able to be more creative when it comes to adding players and
0: well, I think, things of that nature. <laughs> yeah, I think right now when you look at the NHL trade deadline, mm-hmm. as a general general rule, all the deals have to do with money at the end of the day. Like it's something that we talked about earlier, and the there aren't really a lot of exceptions or anything like that built into the nhl hard cap to facilitate trades or facilitate player movement outside of just having the salaries match up and pretty much the most creative trades that we see include maybe like i don't know the salary retention or attaching a good asset to a bad asset but we don't really see that much stuff in the nhl mm-hmm. in the nba like uh there's a lot of three-team trades it's not really something that happens too often in the nhl
1: Almost um, never, really, it seems Yeah, like.
0: almost never. And I think part of the reason for that is because if you have money, you can pay your way out of problems. I think if you look at the Canucks right now, like with someone like OEL, he puts such a restriction on the movement that can happen, or not only him, but a lot of the bloated contracts on the Canucks mean that they can't really make any trades because they don't have any money under the salary cap unless the, the values match up very well. While with a soft cap, if you're comfortable paying the luxury tax, you can acquire someone like an Ekman Larson, let a team get him off the books. And then as long as you're comfortable paying those dollars, it's not as much of a hindrance as to the other moves that you can make. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's a little bit of the reason why we don't see like some of the three-team trades or the really crazy draft pick trades in the NHL. I mean, there's other reasons as well, like basketball is a very different sport than hockey, where one player can make a a much larger difference. True, yeah. Um, but the cap does play a big role in why that all happens.
1: Yeah, and it, you know, one of the things that that I I think is sort of interesting, uh, just returning to the the concept of uh, of like player value and and um and you know players earning what they're worth and such and such like i i just uh pulled up cap friendlies um like the the top salaries in the league on cap friendly because i've Mm -hmm. i think i've mentioned this on the show before but it's it's something that um that i don't think gets talked about nearly enough which is so uh, since the salary cap's been put in place there have been um some players who have there has been a class of players who have benefited at least theoretically like uh, whether it's because of the salary cap is hugely debatable i would argue it's just because of the league um growing and and making more money and uh you know uh, the salary cap also may may have been a thing that that did genuinely help the league out of a jam 15 20 years ago, but is has outlived this usefulness, which is, you know, something I think beyond the scope of what we're talking about today. But if you look at the top salaries in the league, there are between maybe three and six players who make more now than the top paid player did in 2004, um, which is pretty crazy. Um, and I in preparation for this episode last night, I uh, I went and found an inflation calculator and based on based just solely on inflation, like tying player player salaries to inflation, um, the the guys at the bottom of the league have uh, punched above their weight like the league minimum is higher than uh, an inflation adjustment is. And uh, average salary is also slightly higher adjusted for inflation, although that's a very recent thing. Like uh, two years ago, uh, during, during COVID, during the, the down season, it was actually like right at uh, the same level as the average uh, salary, average payroll um, was almost 20 years ago. Uh, but for the top players, like the top paid player in the league this year, Based on inflation, should make at least sixteen million dollars. Right. And for those of you that don't know, uh, the highest play- paid player in the league right now is Connor McDavid. He makes twelve point five, which is kind of crazy. Because w- what's the max? Do you know what the max salary is?
0: Twenty percent, twenty percent of the cap, which sure. is uh, which is.
1: I could probably quickly do the math on that. I'm terrible at math. Um, Maybe
0: like it's a, probably right around that sixteen million number.
1: I think so. Yeah. Here, I'll I'll uh, assuming eighty two point five, it would be, um, sorry, <laughs> it's yeah, it, it, almost twenty million, um, right. and uh, it, like <laughs> it's not even close. <laughs> You know, like it's yeah, it's crazy yeah. that there isn't somebody who even makes max salary yeah. in the league right yeah. now. Like and Ooh. and and part of that is is what you described of players just being like, oh uh we have to take less. You know, you mentioned uh Brad Marchand. Ryan Ryan Kessler got dinged back in the day when he played for the Canucks for by the uh, by the NHLPA for um for saying similar things. Like he got a call from Glenn Healy being like, Don't say that. <laughs> Um, uh, which i think a lot of people don't remember but it was very funny um so uh, you know like i I, what i wanted to the reason i bring this up is is because like so we know why the why it would be better for the highest paid players because based on the value they're providing you know like you can argue about you know 12.5 million or whatever um like that's a lot of money that's a lot more money than you or I will probably ever see in our lifetimes um but at the same time you know I can't do what Connor McDavid does and on some level it feels like if Connor McDavid if Austin Matthews if uh you know um the the best players in the league in the in Canada's number one sport can't make what they're worth then what the hell hope does anyone else have um <laughs> so obviously it benefits them but do you think it benefits the uh, the middle and lower classes of players as well to uh to have the players essentially make more and have teams be able to uh be less financially restrictive
0: i think it i think it does especially the middle tier players because under the current system they kind of get pushed out mm-hmm. um teams commit big dollars long term to the To their best players and then the rest of the game becomes figuring out how to fit all these puzzle pieces of like people on entry-level contracts or uh underpaid players to fit around these big names superstars that get like you said big contracts but even then probably still not what they deserve and so i think by taking away the hard cap it really benefits that middle class to come back and more deals to be made in those middle ranges because that is something that kind of gets pushed to the side under the current system and then as far as the smaller players i mean one good thing about the current cap system i guess would be the cap floor but even then we see that teams trying to reach the cap floor often can do it through accounting where they pick up big cap hits that don't have as many real dollars to pay out I don't yeah. know how, how much that would change over by getting rid of the hard cap but I just don't know how effective it is anyways.
1: Yeah, and and I I I you you mentioned in the article uh deals made for accounting um which oh. I thought was a a good way of putting it. Um what do you think the the reaction of the the casual fan is to that sort of thing? Like do you do you think it damages the the brand a little bit to basically have to have a, a huge chunk of um the the media discourse around um teams and around major player transactions essentially be like having a guy who writes for the athletic or whatever, whose job it is to explain trades to people because they don't make any sense. Like, you know, for example, like why is this team trading for Pavel Datsuk when he doesn't (laughs) play in the league? Why, why, why is, you know, um, uh, UC Jokinen being included in this trade for Thomas Vanek when he just expires at the end of the year. Why you know it? it, it people, I you know it's it's easy to to dunk on people and laugh at them for things like this, but like even just people saying things like, "Oh, I don't know about Anthony Beauvillier being the uh centerpiece of a Bo Horvat trade," and having to explain like he's not the center, he's just the play, like he's coming back because it's a cap neutral deal or whatever, <laughs> like it it sort of demands a level of, like, um expertise, you know, financial expertise from fans that seems like, you know, that energy would be put to better use being concerned and interested with something else, you know?
0: For sure. I mean, there, there's obviously a lot of different levels of hockey fans and everyone has a different level of commitment to their interest in the league. Um, But I think you're right in that, the league has a lot become about these accounting moves and making the money work. And that does take away from just building the best hockey team, which is if you're a casual fan, probably what you want to see. You want to see the best players go against the best players. You want to see the best collection of talent go up against the best collection of talent. And that just doesn't really happen. And like you said, I think it it can get confusing for someone that doesn't want to, invest all the time to learning into like how the LTIR stuff works and how all the money going back and forth and the contracts work. And it makes it a little bit more inaccessible to someone that doesn't want to spend that time and a little bit less about the hockey, which is really what it should be about at the end of the day. Yeah. I
1: mean, it would, it certainly seems like it would improve the vibes considerably Mm -hmm. to you know, for example, as much as I hate to uh, <laughs> hate to use it as an example, um, you know, sign JT Miller to a massive extension and have the reaction be from fans like be have the the privilege, the luxury of having the reaction be, wow, JT Miller's a really good player. I'm really excited we get to watch him for seven more years. Or whatever, which maybe still yeah. wouldn't be the reaction because of, most people do yeah. probably think that the back end of of that contract, he's not going to be as good. But it would certainly seem like it would, um, you know, people talk 100%. about negativity a lot. That would be a, a, a real uh, noticeable change in how positive people would be able to be about trading players, signing players long term, et cetera, et cetera.
0: Yeah, I think if you look at the effects too, like something that the hard cap makes happen is that it's hard to keep a collection of talent together. And if you look at Vancouver as an example, signing JT Miller kind of meant that they can't afford Bo Horvath this year. And that's a fan favorite player, the captain, that had to be traded for financial reasons, not for hockey reasons. Mm-hmm. And that's something that's different in the NBA where teams can keep players, especially those have been on their team for a while with the different Bird right exceptions like teams can offer their own free agents more money than other teams can. And, uh, like instead of the Canucks having to trade Bo Horvat, their captain, because he's going to be too expensive, they'd be able to keep these players that they drafted together. And that's not just a Canucks example, that's for any team. I think it would be most fans would enjoy the being able to watch the players that came up through their team system stick with the organization instead of having to be moved because they're too too good almost too expensive.
1: Yeah, yeah, they p- price themselves out of the team where they uh um where they did their best work, you know, and that's that's the thing people talk about all the time is that players, you know, teams pay them for what they did and not for what yeah. they're going to do, right? And that actually touches on another thing that I wanted to ask you about. I don't know if you're familiar with uh bomani jones espn uh appeared on around the horn a lot uh hosts a show on hbo called game theory I, he's good i like him a lot he talks about uh yeah. uh labor and sports a lot and something that he's said before is that um athletes and i think this this can kind of extend to celebrities in general but athletes specifically like they sort of trade uh, power for money often and um, and people often kind of substitute in money and assume it's the same thing as having power. And I think a good example of that in the NHL is, you know, Bo Horvat, take Bo Horvat as an example, just signed a massive deal, huge, huge deal, Um, but doesn't really didn't really have any control over where he was going to go didn't really have any uh, means of uh, being able to say to uh, to say Jim Benning or whatever, three years ago, like, look, this team sucks. Looks like they're going to suck for a long time. I want to go somewhere and win. Like the only recourse you really have is uh, asking for a trade, demanding a trade, which then is going to potentially tank your contract value because, oh, now you're seen as a, malcontent or as a a rabble rouser or whatever um you know uh i know in the nba like you there's also uh at least you know there used to be i think there still is like um players had the ability to essentially like renegotiate their contracts um uh like midway through or uh, you know there's 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 other there's other the point i'm making here essentially is just that there are other Diff, major differences in how the NA, uh, nba uh treats its players and and their the amount of agency and uh and um uh autonomy that they're able to exert so i i wanted to ask you kind of what you how you feel about things like the draft and free agency uh with regards to The same sort of things that we've been talking about, Um, you know, players moving uh, more players uh, being able to all kind of go to the same team at the same time and 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 compete for a cup on a genuine super team. Like, are there any changes you'd like to see made to the draft or to free agency to kind of um, maybe increase uh, player autonomy, player agency, et cetera?
0: I think it's an interesting point that you bring up there. And I think a lot of hockey fans, including myself, never really think about the draft and free agency. And that way, just because it's so ingrained in our league, mm-hmm. but you're right. And that it does really restrict how much power the players have. And I think there are a few changes that I would make. One thing that I would consider from the NBA is they have a maximum contract length. And oh, yeah. I think that's an interesting thing to bring over to the NHL. And it, I mean, a lot of the times, I think a good example right now is what's happening in Buffalo. Is players are giving up money that they're that they deserve, or giving up value that they deserve for those extra years in the contract. Mm-hmm. And I mean, there's pros and cons for players in the in that because it does for sure, yeah. It does. It does give you that that reassurance over that length, especially considering that the NHL contracts are mostly pretty guaranteed. But, like, the five-year contract limit in the NBA does ensure that the players don't get locked into these super long-term deals that really are below their value. And they get to come up for renegotiation quite a bit. I think that would be an interesting concept to look at in the NHL. The draft is another good one because not only do the players not get much agency in where they go, but the rookie contract system in the NHL means that they really... Don't get paid very much relative to their value, especially for the top rookies. Oh, it's crazy. Yeah. And that becomes almost like a crucial part of building a team is having players on these rookie contracts just because of how restrictive they are on the salary. Like, there's it's hard to find a more efficient contract than a a contributing player on their rookie deal. Yeah. I think doing away with that rookie contract system and going in a different direction. I mean, the NBA uses like a scale for where the players are drafted. Something like that would would at least give more value to those players that are coming into the league in that position. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, and I, I, you know, I think I think with regards to free agency too, like it would be, it would be interesting to see more players hit the open market at an age where their bet their best years aren't completely behind them because, like, yeah. with with the current system like the youngest a player ever hits a major player who's going to get a huge contract like hits the market at 26 at the absolute youngest yeah and so you're talking about aside from the the real outliers like maximum 4 years four more years of of their quote unquote prime um more realistically you're talking about a player who's 27, 28. You're signing him to a seven year deal and it's you're signing him for the first two years of the deal. Basically, yeah. that's where you're going to get the most value. And I, it would be interesting. I would love to see like um, I, I would I would love to see the free agency period like scaled back, I think a little bit because it would sort of incentivize teams to um Kind of keep their star players happy and actually um, get aggressive with trying to build around them and and uh, and and be competitive with them in their prime because they would have a chance of losing them um, when they're still really good, as opposed to kind of this thing where it's like you know, well, well, you know, we, uh, we weren't good when Bo Horvat was here and now he's 27 and we're probably not going to be good for the next couple of years. So he can go somewhere else. And it's just like an incredibly depressing, uh, way for the situation to end both for the player and for the franchise.
0: Yeah. I think one thing that that NHL players have going against them a little bit is that even the best players in the league, like Connor McDavid, can't do enough to change a bad team into a contender by himself, really. I mean, it can make a huge difference. But even we saw the first couple of years when McDavid was in the NHL, the Oilers weren't that great. And no. so sitting out has less less power. And the culture of hockey means that if you're sitting out while you're healthy, you're instantly labeled, like you said, a bad apple. Mm-hmm. But that is something that... uh we've seen other sports. I mean, like basketball where one player has that much of an impact makes a lot of sense. But even in football, we started to see more players just sit out until they're traded or get out of the situation. And I wonder if as the hockey culture slowly, slowly changes a bit, we start to see more players kind of like take that agency and not play in situations where the organizations aren't really doing enough for them.
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um. So, I wanted to just on the still on the subject of salary cap related things, but shifting a little bit over to uh, what I think is basically the, the biggest story uh, in, in, uh, in the, in Vancouver, in the Canucks market uh, that also relates to player salary. At least I think is um, what's going on with uh, Andre Kuzmenko. Obviously, uh, they signed him to uh this this 5.5 million dollar extension for three years um they brought in the new coach Rick Tockett. now he's like he's getting benched he's uh he's playing on the fourth line he's not playing with Elias Pettersson. his ice time's way down um and obviously you know like from a from a uh asset management standpoint like there's a lot of complaints to be made there and and we can touch on those i guess but the the thing that i really wanted to talk about is like i saw a lot of people call the horvat trade lose lose which i don't really understand um personally uh I, i i don't really think that makes sense in the long run um I don't think I saw anyone other than myself refer to the Kuzmenko extension as lose-lose. <laughs> but I think that's way more of a lose-lose deal for both parties than the than the Horvat trade was because um Andre Kuzmenko is, you know, this really rare player who comes in at he- his age, has the kind of um season he has and then would have had the opportunity to hit free agency and um you know his his agent dan milstein uh loves to talk loves to go on the radio and on twitter follow etc (laughs) etc and uh and and uh and talk about you know just just basically spill spill the beans industry secrets things of that nature um you know he basically came out and said you know oh well this you know Kuzmeko's is going to be thirty. He's going to be hitting the open market. The salary cap's going to go way up, and uh, you know he's going to be in a position to make way more money. Uh, whereas I was looking at it and thinking like, okay, a bird in the hand is worth two in the bush. Like, what are you doing? Like, why are you signing a deal that like winger winger value has tanked? Like, you're signing a three year deal. You're going to hit the market when you're thirty. This might be the best season you have ever. And instead of getting paid based on that season, uh, going out, hitting the open market as a 27-year-old, 28-year-old, whatever, uh, I think it is a 27-year-old, you're betting on yourself to be as good or better three years from now and make even more money based on the assumption that the salary cap is going up, which is uh, some real, like, you know, doomsday cult shit of like uh you know predicting the end of the world over and over and over again and it never happening uh because like you know i mean like okay most of the rest of the world is predicting a recession in the next like couple of years there's a tv deal um that's expiring so they'll be up for a new tv deal and one of the uh, major um, sports media platforms just recently decided uh, like last week that uh, it just wasn't profitable to cover hockey at all. And so uh, <laughs> they completely cut all their hockey writers. I'm talking about Espionation, Nation, um, yeah. of course uh seems like a hell of a bet to make seems like kind of a a poor decision on their part and then of course obviously you don't even really have to get into why it's a poor decision for the Canucks uh you know like here they are uh he's a fourth line player right now uh a week into his contract extension or whatever so I was what I was just wondering what you kind of think like uh um of the the Andre Kuzmenko situation and whether or not like either party there made made a wise decision.
0: Yeah, no, well I think it's, it's pretty simple from the Canucks end standpoint from it that it wasn't the best decision. I mean, it goes back to what we were saying earlier where in a hard cap league everything comes down to a dollar value and Uzbanko at nine twenty five for one playoff run is an incredible trade asset that every team in the league wants on their roster. And Kuzmenko at 5.5 for the next three years is not that, especially when we see that now that he's under this new coach, maybe struggling to find a role in this new lineup, it's just quickly looking worse by the day. Mm -hmm. From his point of view, yeah, I mean, you're very right that this could be the very best season of his career. And especially when we look at the NHL so situational, like him getting to play on Pedersen's line for the first – whatever, 50 games or 40 games probably helped a lot and helped make his transition to the NHL a lot easier. And now we're seeing that when you don't get to play with those super skilled players, it's a much more difficult task and your counting numbers are going to go down. And that's really what influences a lot of the contract dollar amounts at the end of the day. So, I mean, for him, he'll get like whatever, 17 million bucks over the next three years or something like that. So that's nice. But I think you're right that it's a pretty rare opportunity to walk to free agency and be one of the most valued assets there and have all these teams bidding for your services. He's he's also a bit of a unique situation that he just came over this year and he is this older player, but he impressed, I think, everybody in the first half of the season. And so I, I was a little bit surprised that he went for kind of like a bridge style deal as well.
1: Yeah, because, I mean, you, you would think that, okay, so you're 27 years old, you have a huge track record of success in the KHL, uh, now a full season track record of being a high producer in the NHL. Yeah, sure, it's on a line with Elias Pettersson, but the kinds of teams that should be in the market for an Andre Kuzmenko in free agency are the kinds of teams that can play him with an Elias Patterson caliber center, right? Yeah. Like maybe yeah. not quite as good, maybe even a little bit better. It depends on the you know cap situation for, for some of these real contending teams. But you'd sort of think like from my perspective, if I'm Andre Kuzmenko, I'm thinking like, okay, I can probably get uh, a six-year deal from a team um, based on this season. I can probably get the um, you know, I can probably get a 5.5 over six years or six over six years or, you know, whatever I can, I can get the Louis Erickson deal. I can get, I can yeah. get six years, 36 million or whatever. Um, I'll be 33 when that deal expires and I'll, I'll, I might still be able to, you know, sign like a two year deal or something, or sign sure, a couple yeah. of one year deals, make a little bit more money before I retire. Um. And you know, a team that's that's taking me on is thinking like, okay, well, when the deal expires, he's only going to be thirty three. He won't be ancient, like we, you know. So we'll 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 um we'll dish out this money, uh, we'll fork it over now, and you know, hope that he's kind of the missing piece in our top six or whatever. Um, that's the upside. The downside is okay if I don't do that. If I sign like a two year extension or a three year extension and things go badly, I get hurt. Um, I, you know, uh, end up with a new coach, yeah. uh, <laughs> yeah. literally sign my deal with one coach and then have a new coach afterwards. Uh new coach hates me, tanks my value, and I hit the open market at 30 and nobody wants me. Yeah. Um, I've just cost myself p- potentially like um, twice as much money. Like yeah. I, I took half as much money to bet on myself based on like a moonshot idea that, uh, that the cap's going to go up and I'm going to get to be, uh, you know, this, uh, this year's, uh, Kyle Oposo or whatever. Um, right. Yeah. It just seems, uh, like a, it's, it seems like a very strange decision <laughs> and you know, like I, it's just funny to me because like I torched the thing when it happened. And I felt like people were just really not hard enough on the decision for both parties, both parties. Like, like, like I think Dan Milstein did some poor work here too. Personally, I hope that doesn't mean he's going to like find where I live and show up at my house or whatever. Cause (laughs) you know, he he seems like that kind of guy (laughs) send, send a mob of people after me on Twitter or whatever, but um, like, uh, you know, and then it's, it's just funny because it's like, usually it takes like, when you make a bet like that, it takes a year or two before it pays off. and you and you can, you know, pat yourself on the back and do a victory lap or whatever. And it's like it's been a week. It's been a week or two, <laughs> yeah. and it already looks bad. like it's 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 all it's, it's kind of impressive, honestly. like i'm <laughs> uh, I'm it's funny how quickly it's deteriorated on them,
0: yeah, no. I mean, it's an interesting situation. I think, like what you said, Milstein there there are just so many question marks around Kuzmenko coming through that it's such a rare opportunity to get to hit the market at this age and with these kind of numbers that you feel like he would have really been able to cash in but again I I guess on the other hand like the value for wingers has been going down every single season it seems like and maybe the scoring winger wouldn't be what maybe he didn't think they'd be able to get that much only the Canucks would give him that much so I also think about Milstein's relationship with the Canucks and Kuzmenko and Mikhaev and all that. So yeah, it's interesting to see, but funny how the Canucks have kind of made Kuzmenko immediately a really core part of this future.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it, it is tough to say cause you're, you're, you are right. Like obviously the, uh, the, 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 Value on wingers has tanked, so maybe, you know, maybe he hits the open market and doesn't get what he wants. So, you know, I, I, I have some time for that as well, but I just kind of think that based on what he had done, he could have found a team willing to be stupid enough to give him a, a long term deal, especially because people love the KHL free agent guy. You yeah. know, like I like yeah. people just always love the
0: love that for for whatever reason. Um, I also think you would have been helped out by the fact that there's been some really successful people transition from the KHL to the NHL recently. Yeah, like, absolutely. Like, and like, I think people would have kind of become enamored that like is there's some really clear comparables I guess you can make to someone like Panarin or something like that.
1: Yeah, totally. You'd think you'd think somebody would be able to talk themselves into like, okay, we're gonna get the next Panarin or whatever. And yeah, yeah. and from, from by the same token, like if if the Canucks trade him to a contender and he has a good playoff run, like he's not gonna play yeah. in the playoffs this year, like that would that would up his value too. One hundred percent. And and yeah, it's uh, it's kind of the 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 funny thing with NHL player value that always happens is it's like players aren't worth anything anymore, but teams still keep signing them anyways you know it takes <laughs> takes them years to figure it out um so you know i'm i i still feel like there would have been someone out there willing to be stupid enough so i i'll i'll ask you one more thing uh just just as a fun yeah. exercise here so yeah. um okay so who was the guy who got traded for five second round picks in the nba at the deadline
0: jay crowder traded from nets to bucks for five second round picks
1: that's right Sadiq,
0: Sadiq bay traded from warriors to hawks for five second round picks though that was part of a bigger three-team trade Charles sure. bryant traded from the lakers to the nuggets for three second round picks
1: wow okay so there's actually gary like
0: Payton, gary Payton two from the or junior from the blazers to the warriors for five second round picks again part of i think a bigger trade there but
1: damn but like, like a seconds couple were on of guys that's yeah, wild. Yeah, that is actually wild. And Josh I know.
0: Richardson from the Pelicans to the Spurs for Devontae Graham and four second round picks.
1: Damn. So Jay Crowder was the guy I was thinking of. Yeah, he was Jay the Crowder was the big one who got yeah. like straight up just like five picks for yeah. this guy. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I know I'm I'm kind of stretching the limits of uh, of of uh like there's some real um uh, suspension of disbelief going on here, but I'm I'm gonna say it anyways. Like, okay, <laughs> imagine let's try to imagine like what team and what player could potentially do a deal where they trade five second round picks for a guy. Um, If you remember a few years ago, um, yeah. like Cal yarn signed yeah. that really weird deal where he locked himself into like $2.5 million for like seven years or something. Right. I, I feel yeah. like it would have to be a guy like that. Like, right. um, uh, uh, I'm trying to see if I can sort Oops. on, um, on gap friendly here. Uh, exp- uh, it doesn't, you can't sort by year that they expire, but like, can you think of, uh, I'll, I'll I'll do some digging here, but off the top of your head, <laughs> could you think of anybody who could be like, who would be a potential target for a five second round pick? Like a five second
0: round pick. Yeah. I think it, trying to think i mean like in the nba the trades that like jay crowder it's a lot of these older role players that are brought in for uh to kind of help the team for, like yeah for yeah. like a playoff runner for like a playoff runner too i'm thinking Another like one?
1: a team like new jersey yeah. is in a position to trade five second round picks like yeah. new jersey or 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 um Maybe not. Maybe Buffalo's like a year away from being able to do something <laughs> like that. But like a team like Jersey that's at the beginning of their maybe, competitive uh, window, um, you know, uh, looking to acquire a player who is, um, uh, here. Here we go. Okay, I think, I think maybe I've the Kings got
0: could be a good one. Yeah, the Kings too. could
1: be good. Okay, maybe someone like um. Uh, Pierre-Luc Dubois is 24. He's got a couple years. He's an RFA, but he's got a couple years of team control left. Uh, you know, Pierre-Luc Dubois to like the LA Kings. Or right, yeah, the New right, Jersey Devils. So <laughs> I think I think that, that I think uh, New Jersey uh, doesn't quite need a player like that, but L A could like. But I, yeah. even still, though, I feel like I feel like Dubois like a little too good. Uh, yeah. For that, yeah. but like something like that is it would be like maybe like
0: bar. yeah, uh, like Kaukinami or something. He's still young, but yes, yeah. Like, he also had that weird contract where. He had like the high qualifying offer, and he signed an extension recently. And I think he could be someone that like still like, very young, lots of team control. Yeah, like he he's his contract's eight years at four point eight million.
1: Yeah, ex- perfect. That like a uh, uh, a team that just needs like a a some uh some center depth, some some maybe uh take a flyer on a guy who who's locked up for a long time. Um, here we go. Here's a guy. Okay. I got it. Okay. So Joel Farabee. Nice. He's twenty two. He plays for the Flyers, who are not good. Yeah. He's locked. He's in the first year of a one, two, three, four, five, six year deal at five million. This might be a little bit Of a, this might be a little bit of a tough one because again it's like sort of like scoring forward or whatever yeah but um yeah uh uh joel farabee uh like retain one million dollars yeah. for five second round picks <laughs> yeah. from i don't know uh <laughs> some team that's 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 gonna be good for the next five years i don't know fuck <laughs>
0: Yeah, yeah,
1: Anyways, yeah. Um it it just goes to show you how how like unfathomable that is in the yeah, in the NHL. It like, it 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 is really it's a junior hockey ass thing to happen. Right. Cuz they cuz they can't trade firsts in uh in the CHL. So you see well, like that happen all the time. Like some guy just get traded for like seven second round picks. Some team that's trying to go for it because their windows are even shorter than the ones in the right, NHL. Yeah, cause the
0: guy's just graduating right after that. Yeah. Players level. just
1: leaving when they're 20 or whatever, but yeah. yeah. Uh, anything you want to plug before, uh, before we sign off?
0: Mm, no, you can check out all my work at Canucks Army. All me yeah. on Twitter.
1: Yeah. Just Noah Strang, right?
0: Yeah. No one's underscore. Perfect. Okay. Thanks.
1: Yeah. Great. Well, uh, I appreciate you joining me. This was fun. Uh, always uh, happy to, to get into the weeds about uh, uh, kind of NHL policy and rules and, and salary and things like that. So uh, thanks for joining me. And uh, yeah, it, uh, especially with uh, Vias just returning from vacation now, always nice to be able to record an episode and not have to, uh, have a a a huge amount of trouble doing scheduling stuff so um big thanks uh to noah for joining us uh follow the show on twitter at roxy fever uh subscribe to the patreon patreon.com slash roxy fever i just put up uh not too long ago an episode about the ryan kessler trade where i talked about that for like an hour uh and i was actually pretty impressed with myself because that's a hard thing to do um So, uh, yeah, thanks for listening, everybody, and we'll see you next time.
0: Thanks for having me on, Jackson.